had a conversation recently with someone, and um, I take this as a high compliment, not necessarily me personally, but as a church community. Um, this person said, you know, I, um, I used to kind of view attending worship as a, as a chore, as something that I knew was important, um, but something that I sort of had to make myself do. Not that we all don't feel like that from time to time. But she said, you know, I, I honestly look forward to worship every Sunday at Summit View. Um, I appreciate what's going on there. It, it, it feels like a family. And uh, I, I can't wait to meet together. Um, you know, those are the kind of things that, that pastors like to hear. Um, and I think they're things that should encourage you as well as a community here at Summit View that... that uh, that people want to be together. And we're going to be talking over the next two months, really, about how we nurture that and cultivate that kind of community. But the fact is, you and I have been created, ultimately, for community. It's who we are. We've been called not only to believe, but more importantly, we've been called to belong, to be a part of something bigger than us. To belong to God, but also to belong to one another. And yes, that that word belong is intentional. That you and I, the scripture says, belong to one another in Christ. I'll talk more about that. In the Garden of Eden, for example, a perfect, sinless environment. God declared it is not good for man to be alone. Pastor Rick Warren's words, he says this, We were created for community. We were fashioned for fellowship. And we were formed to belong to God's family. It's how God created us. And what I've discovered, not just recently, but over the years, is that we all seem to have this longing, this desire to be a part of something. Yet at the same time, as badly as we want to be connected, we also are a little bit frightened by that. We don't want to get too close. We don't want people to know us too well. But we have been created to be in community with one another. The Bible honestly knows nothing, knows nothing, of solitary saints or spiritual hermits. Popular notion that you can love God, that you can serve Christ, that you can grow in your faith, and have nothing to do with the family of faith is really ridiculous. And yet, it's an attitude, isn't it, that's out there? I talk to people every week who say, you know, I love God, I hate the church. And some of us would say, well, I understand how people could feel that way. Some of us have had very difficult experiences with churches. And yet the reality is that we've been created for community. We've been created to belong. People who isolate themselves from community, from the community of faith, deprive themselves of fellowship, distance themselves, honestly are headed for difficulties. There's no accountability. There's no connection. It's just sort of me and Jesus and nobody else matters. There are truly no spiritual lone rangers in the kingdom of God. God never makes private or secret salvation deals with people. Think about that for a minute. His relationship with us is personal, and it's intimate, but it's never private. It's never private. We are a family, in the best sense of the word, a family in Christ. We're a community of pilgrims on a quest to become more like Christ. That's why we exist as a church, to become more like Christ, the one that we worship. Paul describes our relationship to one another like this. And what I've done here is I've taken about six passages and I've put them together. I hope I'm not a heretic for doing this. Okay, but this is sort of the, the, the curt translation 
of Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians. And it says this, okay? Listen to these words carefully. We are put together. We're joined together. We're built together. We are members together. We are heirs together. We're fitted together. We're held together. And ultimately, we're caught up together in Christ. A lot of togethers there. Like it or not, you and I are in this thing together. Connected to each other. Whether we like it or not. Moreover, the Bible says, and I mentioned this earlier, we belong to one another. We're members of one body. Although we're members of one body... We are clearly not always one big, happy family. No church, no faith community is ever one big, happy family. Our brothers and sisters in the faith are not always likable people. They're not always nice people. I'm talking about us, by the way, not those other people out there. Let's be honest. Some Christians are just downright difficult. It's okay to chuckle a bit, you know. It's true. They're difficult, or worse, mean-spirited and hurtful, annoying, obnoxious, strange. Somebody asked me, does your church have a lot of weird Christians in it? How do you think I answered that? (laughs) I'm afraid that the saying that you've seen on bumper stickers or read that Christians shoot their wounded is too often true. Truth is, people don't stop being sinners simply because they start believing in Christ. Have you looked in the mirror lately? Spiritual growth is a process that we're all in. It's a long process. We have issues. We all have shortcomings. We all have our stuff. We're all sinners. We're all broken. We're all imperfect, every one of us. No matter who our brothers and sisters in Christ may be, no matter how they may act, no matter what they may do, no matter what we may do to one another, we are still connected. We still belong to one another. We're still members of one body. We're still members of this community called Christ's Church. And particularly, this community called Summit View Covenant Church. We are all, in the words of one writer, vital organs in a living body. Did you wake up this morning and look in the mirror and say, I'm a vital organ in a living body. That's who you are. Interconnected and indispensable. You matter. Every one of you count. This place will not be the same without you here, without your gifts. So I've asked this before. Not the question of, am I going to be a part of a community of faith? Because you are part of a community of faith, whether you like it or not. The question is, the appropriate question is, how am I going to live in this spiritual community? How am I going to be a part of this community? How will I belong here? What does that look like for me and for my family? This is the question that we need to honestly think about and pray about over the next weeks as we journey together and talk about cultivating spiritual community. How am I going to live in community with other believers, with people who are sometimes not like I am. So consider this my personal invitation to each of you. Please join us in this quest to cultivate authentic spiritual community over the next several months. Please be a part of this. It's where community begins. I have no doubt that each person here will respond differently to this invitation. 
God's people always respond differently. Some of you will probably run away, honestly, from this invitation, and you'll pretend that the family doesn't really exist. To you, community, church is a necessity, sometimes an irritation, even sometimes an inconvenience. Some of you may even decide to move out, get your own apartment, your own place, make an occasional visit home. Maybe you'll show up for special events from time to time, and if we're lucky, you'll bring a gift when you come to show us how much you really do care about our community. Some of you would never dream of moving out and getting your own place, of running away. But unfortunately, because of your complaining, because of your attitude in some cases, you will cause other people to dream that dream for you. I'm not talking to anyone this morning. Some of you, many of you, most of you, all of you, I hope and I pray, will stick around and journey with us over these next few months. You'll purpose to discover what God has in mind for you, and as Andy said, not just for you individually, but for us as a community of faith. That's what we're going to be about. It's my prayer that each of us will discover truly why God has placed us here in this particular place and at this particular time to be a part of this particular community. It's my sincere desire that each of us will discover our niche, our place, our reason to belong in this community of faith. Above all else, I pray that we'll learn to live joyfully and graciously and harmoniously together to the degree that that's possible when you have a collection of people like us together in a family of faith. I pray that that would be the case as we evolve as a community of faith and we serve to seek Christ together. Our lives are meant to be shared. I think we know that intuitively. God intends us to experience life together, every facet of our lives. That's God's intention. The Bible calls this shared life community. Community. Unfortunately, in most faith communities, ours included to a certain degree, the concept of community has been exchanged with the concept of fellowship. Fellowship is an okay word, but it's different than community. And it's come to mean little more than casual conversation, socializing, food, fun, and hanging out. Community now is equated almost solely with church attendance. Showing up every now and then for worship. And if you're fortunate, if someone happens to invite you, you end up going out to lunch afterwards and hanging out with some more people. The truth is real community Authentic spiritual community is so much more than merely showing up for worship on Sunday and hanging out. And you know, to some degree, I realize I'm preaching to the choir here. I'm talking to people who understand this. And community is being practiced in our church. But it's more than just coming here on Sunday mornings, for sure. Authentic community is about experiencing life together, all of life, in all of its complexity, together. It includes fun and fellowship to be sure, but more importantly, it includes things like honesty and openness, grace and forgiveness, compassion and mission. Mission. These kinds of characteristics. These are the things that make up authentic spiritual community. These are the qualities that are present in every authentic community of faith. These are the core values, to use another description, that drive real community. Too many of our churches, too many of our faith communities, too many small groups, 
too many parachurch organizations are stuck in superficiality. That's the truth. They have no idea what authentic community is or what it would even be like to experience it. Too many faith communities are experiencing false community or I would call it pseudo-community. Something that looks like the real thing. It kind of even smells like the real thing, but it isn't the real thing. It's a poor and ultimately unsatisfying version of the real thing. And here's what I believe. I believe we know that. And I believe when you walk into a place, whether it's a small group or a church or any kind of faith community, we know whether what we're experiencing is real or has the potential to be real or is not real. I want to look at the characteristics of authentic spiritual community. I want to get really honest this morning. And I want to talk about these things that set real community apart from false community. And as I do it, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think as you listen. I want you to multitask. Okay? Think as you listen. First of all, on a personal level. What do I do that either contributes to or detracts from this kind of community that Kurt's talking about this morning? On a communal level, I want you to think critically about how these things that I'm talking about this morning resonate with your experience of being in this particular faith community. Are the things that you're going to hear about this morning and interact with present in your estimation here? Are they things that you've experienced? The first characteristics are these. Might as well just jump right into it. Honesty and openness. In authentic faith communities, people are not only relational, okay, Summit View is a very relational church. People in authentic communities are not only relational, they are real. And there's a huge difference between being simply relational and being real. Authentic spiritual community is not superficial, surface-level chit-chat. It's genuine, heart-to-heart, gut-level sharing. And that doesn't mean that you don't have fun and goof around. Lord knows I like to do that. But ultimately, when it gets down to it, it goes deeper. We don't just talk about the Ducks or the Huskies or the Seahawks or the marching band at Oregon State or whatever it might be, right? Um, I shouldn't have said that. It wasn't in my notes. Now, you know what I'm saying. We, we need to go deeper with one another. We need to go deeper with one another. The shared life is about people getting real with one another. Getting honest about what's happening in their lives. Revealing their hurts, their feelings, their fears, their insecurities, and yes, even their sin. Does this frighten you? Men? Women? It should, a bit. When was the last time, for example, that you were really, truly honest with someone other than if you're married, the person you're married to? Or maybe, when was the last time you were honest with that person? When you were real. When you really let him or her get to know you. When you said, okay, I need to talk about this, and and here it goes. Listen to these words from James, and this is from the message, paraphrase. James 5.16. So he encourages that community to do. Make this your common practice, he says. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together, and listen to this part, whole and healed. There is something therapeutic There's something transformational about confession 
and about sharing our lives with people and letting them know who we really are. We're only going to experience real community to the degree that we become open and transparent and vulnerable. And as a leader, I recognize the truth in that. All of us who lead, right? We don't demonstrate that. Many of you won't demonstrate that. So those of you that are leaders, whether it's here or somewhere else, you need to get honest. You need to get open. You need to get real. You need to do it appropriately, but that's what you need to do. People need to know who you are. It's risky. We might be exposed for who we are. We might be rejected. We might even be hurt. But the truth is, we're only going to grow spiritually and become emotionally healthy when we risk, when we step out, when we become open and honest, when we get real with God, and when we get real with other people. That's when things begin to happen. And I don't underestimate how difficult that is. And you're probably thinking to yourself, if you knew what you were asking me to do, and I actually did that with somebody here, they'd run away screaming. They wouldn't want to be seen with me. And you know what? That's not true. One of the most encouraging things that I can offer to you and to people who I meet with is to say you are not alone. What you're experiencing, everyone experiences from time to time. You're not a bad person. Compassion. It's another characteristic. And it's more than feeling sorry for someone. Our modern translations of the Bible have done a disservice to this word, by the way. Most of them translate the word compassion as pity or as feeling sorry. Jesus had compassion on the crowd. But our translations oftentimes say Jesus felt sorry for the people. He had pity on the woman. He had pity on the man. It's more than that. It's more than empathizing with people. Compassion is entering into someone's circumstances, coming alongside, sharing his or her pain at a truly gut level. Only Jesus did that perfectly because he was God. He was the only one who truly knew what was going on inside of people. But we're called to be compassionate. And compassion says, I understand what you're going through. I haven't experienced it, but on some level I understand. And what you're experiencing is neither strange nor is it crazy. That's getting at compassion. And it begins by coming alongside people that are hurting, befriending them, reaching out to them, being intentional about relationship. The Bible reminds us that as holy people, as holy people, people set apart, we are to be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient with one another. Colossians 3.12 Compassion, when we extend it to other people, it meets two incredibly important human needs. The need to be understood, first of all, and the need to have your feelings or your experience validated by someone else. Do you ever walk around, this is a rhetorical question, do you ever walk around feeling like you're the only one who's ever been through what you've been through or experienced what you've experienced? There is no one in the whole world that could possibly feel like you feel. And then if you're fortunate, someone's come alongside and said, you know what, I've been there. And I know how that feels. And it doesn't feel good. It's very difficult. And somehow that validation, it doesn't make you sort of better right away, but to know that at least there's one other person in the whole world who can share in that experience with you. You're not crazy. You're not strange. What you're experiencing isn't something that everyone else hasn't experienced on some level at some point in their life. Every time we enter into someone's pain, 
every time we affirm their feelings, every time we come alongside someone who's hurting, not to fix them, which is what you know I get paid to do, right? I want to fix your problems. Not when we do that, but when we listen. When we prayerfully listen to people. When we do those things, we are building authentic spiritual community. Listening is a lost art in some cases. In Galatians 6.2, Paul commands us, are you ready for this, to share in each other's troubles and problems. And he says, in this way, we obey the law of Christ. So what are we called to? We're called to share in one another's problems. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. It's what we're called to do. It's what it means to be a community of faith. In times of deep, deep, deep crisis and grief and doubt, that's exactly when we need each other the most. And tragically, it's a time when most people disappear. That's my story on one level. When I was really going through it back in the day, I didn't look at this community of faith that I was involved in as a haven, as a place to to be loved and cared for. I looked at it as a threat because people would judge me. And you know what? That wasn't true in that case. But unfortunately, it is from time to time. But we need each other. And it's during those times that are so difficult that we most need to practice compassion. When difficult circumstances threaten to crush us and to destroy our faith, which they can do, that's when we need to rely on each other. Certainly God, right? But one another. I need to know that I can pick up the phone and I can call someone. Someone that knows me and someone that cares and say, you know what, I am dying. I don't know if I can get up tomorrow. And instead of the response being, oh, come on. What could be so bad? Right? It's people who listen and say, you know, how can I pray for you? What can I do for you? How can I encourage you? This is when authentic community is most crucial. It's also about grace and forgiveness. We spent two months here talking about grace. But an authentic faith community, in the words of one writer, and I like this, is a place of grace where mistakes are not rubbed in, but they're rubbed out. We are really good at rubbing things in. I know as a parent, I have to be very careful of that. But an authentic spiritual community is a place where we don't rub things in, we rub them out. We all need grace because all of us stumble and fall. We all blow it. We need God's grace, but we need to see it in tangible ways from each other. One of our core values is that we are a grace-giving community. And you know what? We are, to a large degree. And we need to continue to nurture that and to cultivate that value. Forgiveness is also a part of the equation. You can't have authentic community without forgiveness. God does not want us to hold grudges. Scripture says that. Why? Because bitterness and resentment and grudges always destroy community, destroy people. They destroy families. They destroy marriages. When people hang on to stuff and they won't let go of it. If we're together long enough, we're going to hurt each other. Eventually, we're going to say something or do something to one another and we're going to hurt one another. It's happened here, believe it or not, in this perfect church. Believe it or not, we hurt each other from time to time. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, but either way, it takes grace and it takes forgiveness to maintain genuine community. 
be aggressive in offering grace to one another. I don't think as a culture we are a particularly gracious culture. We have high standards and we don't easily offer grace. We don't easily receive it from other people. Paul encourages us to make allowances for each other's faults and to forgive the person who offends you. In other words, cut people slack. Forgive them. Remember the Lord forgave you, Paul says, so you must forgive other people. The grace that God has extended to us is our motivation for extending grace to other people. None of us will never be asked to forgive someone more than God has already forgiven us. I believe that. When someone hurts you, you have a choice to make. Will you use your energy and emotions to retaliate, to get even, or will you extend that energy toward resolution? Will you pick up your ball and go home when your feelings get hurt, or will you work it out? You can't do both. You can't do both. Too many of us have learned to go to our corners, to go to our bedrooms when there's conflict. I grew up in a family that didn't want to deal with conflict. And so, what we did is we just cut people off. And you know what? I've struggled with that my whole life. You don't see things the way I do? You don't like me? Well, guess what? Great thing for a pastor, huh? It's honest. It's true. I learned that, and I'm unlearning that in this process of growth. But I think a lot of us have learned that. You don't deal with stuff. You don't deal with conflict. You just go away. You go find another church. You go find another community. And when conflict arises there, you go somewhere else. Even when you're a part of it. Even when you're the reason for the conflict. I'm not dealing with this. So it's like you know you light a fire in the middle of the room and you leave. Don't do that. Don't do that. Resolving conflict and misunderstanding is always the right choice. It's always the godly choice. It's always difficult. But it's what people in spiritual community, authentic spiritual community, do. And finally, and this will be brief because we're going to spend two weeks talking about this, authentic spiritual community is characterized by mission. By mission. Okay? Authentic faith communities share in Christ's mission in the world. We are about the things that Jesus is about. When Christ was on earth, God did miraculous things through Him. Through His physical body. And today, God uses the church, His spiritual body, this community of faith as His instrument. We aren't simply to model God's love by loving on each other. Right? I've heard that term thrown around. We're to extend His love to the rest of the world. We love one another, but that love has an outward focus too. And it is an incredible awesome privilege, but it's an awesome responsibility too. This community will not be an inward-focused community. You'll have to drag me out of here if we become that. We need to turn our focus out. More on that later. God works through us in the world. We are His hands. We are His feet. We are His eyes. We are His heart. And each of us has a role to play and a contribution to make. We each have a place to belong in this economy of the kingdom. Paul tells us in Ephesians, and again from the message, that God creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join Him in the work that He does. The good work that He's gotten ready for us to do, and then this, the work that we'd better be doing. All right? I, I'd actually confess I didn't go back and look at the original Greek, but um, I like the way that comes across. God has gotten us ready to participate 
and to be about doing what he's doing. We're most effective in mission when we do it together, when we do it together. I've traveled in Russia a lot. I've been over there and I've taught. Some of you have as well that are here this morning. And there just are a ton of spiritual lone rangers there. There probably are all over the world. But sort of these disconnected entities out evangelizing and planting churches and doing all this stuff. And I've met too many people that are disconnected from a community. It's like, why are you, why are you here? Who sent you? Who, who are you with? Oh, I just, you know, felt the Lord moving me and I come over here six weeks out of every year and travel around and preach. Well, that's good. But I'm thinking, how much more effective if we're sent by a community, if we're a part of that? So, here's the question that I want to end with. And you're probably asking this. How in the world will we ever become this kind of community? Right? Open and honest and forgiving and grace-giving and compassionate and missional. You know? Is this pie in the sky? Is this what pastors talk about? Yeah, it is what we talk about. And no, it's not pie in the sky. It's possible. Cultivating a genuine faith community begins with you and it begins with me. Honestly, it begins with each of us allowing God to change us and to transform us and to do something new in us, to kick us in the rear end and to get us fired up. That's where it begins. It begins by us praying about, God, where do you have me? What do you want me to do? I had a phone conversation with someone yesterday and they said, you know what, I think God is sort of nudging me toward mission stuff. I don't know what that means. I know it doesn't mean, you know, moving somewhere, but doing something. And I had a conversation with someone else, this person said, who said the same thing. And I hear that and I go, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Transformation, becoming more like Christ. It's the goal of community, and it's what we're going to talk about next week. How does that happen in our lives? How do we truly become transformed and changed by Christ? Let's prepare our hearts this morning to receive communion and I just want you to be silent for a few moments and just think and pray about what you've heard this morning. I know there's a lot of information that came at you this morning but ask God to speak to you.